Tommy and Charlie, as a surprise, do up the garden of someone who has no interest in gardening or time to maintain a garden. They've only got a couple of days to complete the makeover, and so they have to rush it. Then, when it's done and the person whose garden it is discovers them, they celebrate with champagne. It's not widely known, but when the cameras stop rolling, it's common for the team to continue drinking and get so unruly they start to vandalise the garden they've just fixed up. The three of them will stand there, stripped to the waist, covered in potting compost, and hurling abuse at passers-by until the ground-force minder bundles them into the back of a limousine and takes them on to the Fingers Bar at the Royal Horticultural Society, whilst a man in dark glasses pays off the now-distraught victims with large wads of cash, plus cassette tapes of Alan's novels. Having been delivered to the Fingers Bar, Titchmarsh, Tommy Walsh and Charlie Dimmock would writhe around singing ribald gardening songs. Show me your privets. She let me trim her gorse, but her dwarf rhododendron was out of my reach. And place the clematis up against the wall, but be careful when handling the root ball as damage may occur. Withered Eddie Titchmarsh would look on in disgust. Why did Alan let this go on, he thought. What would Mum have said? She was a proud lady, Ma Titchmarsh, and would take in washing to help make ends meet. She never made much money at it because people expected it to be washed as well as being just taken in, but she had her pride. Her husband was long gone, himself a gardener. He'd spent years perfecting the seedless walnut, hoping to make his fortune. But since this was essentially just an empty shell, he'd got very little interest and very short shrift on Dragon's Den Series 1. Basically, with the lack of any nutritional value to the nut, he'd shot himself in the foot. That was the Titchmarsh family's chosen punishment. "'You'll tidy your room, Alan, or I'll shoot you in the foot!' his father would bellow from the stairwell, rocking back on his two Durban artificial feet. "'Hello? Ouch!' I said, bumping my head on the underside of the table. I'd just seen the telephone and realised the voice was coming from there. It's Zevon, he said. I've got you a booking. I jumped for joy, banging my head again on the underside of the table and this time knocking myself unconscious. I have no memory of the events of the ensuing year. It was 1987 and so, even to this day, whenever I hear Sam Fox singing, Touch Me, I have no feelings of nostalgia and tragically... Anything by Amazulu still leaves me cold. A little tip for you if you're going to fall unconscious. Try not, as I did, to fall unconscious on your door key because it takes weeks for the impression to come out of your face. So, I was in this coma for all of 87, and it was odd. If you've ever been in a coma, you'll know what I mean. What's it like? Well, your life appears to go on, but the events are essentially made up. So while in the conscious world, on the 12th of January 1987, Richard Eyre took over from Sir Peter Hall as director of the National Theatre, in my coma year 1987, Normsky took over. Remember Normsky? The BBC's black youth presenter with the crazy carrot-top haircut, who went out with Janet Street Porter. Got him? Yes, well, he took over the National Theatre, and his first move was to book Aswad in for six weeks solid in the Cottesloe. They got rave reviews from even the most hard-bitten theatre critics. A theatrical tour de force. Loved it, Sheridan Morley in the Times. All my doubts cast aside in a single smile from their charismatic lead singer. 
Nicholas de Jong writing in the London Evening Standard. With a canny piece of programming, Normsky had booked Waiting for Godot in the Olivier to mop up the Aswad overspill. Ordinary people were being converted to Beckett overnight. There were queues stretching from the box office as far as Waterloo Bridge. Suddenly it truly was becoming the People's Theatre. Sir Peter Hall was stark staring angry about his considerable loss of face. How dare they, he thought, as he sat in the front row with his posse on press night, heckling the band mercilessly. With two massive sellouts, Norsky was on a roll and followed through with a live game show, Pig 321. He had the revolving stage at the Olivier filled with 2,000 litres of mud and manure and installed three families of six pigs on it. Then, every evening, Ted Rogers, Chris Emmett and the team would turn up and give the pigs the chance of winning a holiday, a car, or go home to their sties empty-handed with a ceramic dusty bin. At the same